Welcome to Next Big Watt Radio, where one of India's longest-running media platforms documenting startups, technology, product, and digital transformation. We bring multiple lenses to entrepreneurship, scaling businesses, mindfulness, and much more. Our mission and mantra is singular: build, grow, repeat. Uh, but that's it. We have done a bunch of products apart from that, and a lot of things have not worked out as well. 
So, I'm sure that you must have this, you know, thing that even less or more service, right? Because product at that point in time was literally unheard of in India. So, you know, let's actually compare and build the product. Ashish, your voice got cut off. I'm unable to hear the question. Uh, the question was that you know, so typically what happens is that once you start getting customer requests, there's a problem. You know, products are generally very uncertain things. Like you know, it's going to happen. But uh, I I know that the service requirement, I'll get it done. Right. So uh, what did we decide that you know? Not service, but largely a product which will have a page, a support page, all of that. So it was very simple for me. In the morning, I had to go to school or college, and in the evening, I wanted my nights out and my parties. So I'm like, if I have to do services, I will not be able to do any of those because services per hour or per day. Uh, and second thing is, uh, we also because my dad had also run a services agency, I realized that in services, while uh, you you do have a regular flow of jobs. But sometimes it gets repetitive. You're doing the same thing over and over again, and after a point in time, it's not fun. Whereas with the product, it's your roadmap. You are doing the innovation, and then once you start seeing it moving, like the scale automatically picks it up, which is very difficult. Which is a long, non-linear journey in product, but a linear journey in services. Plus, also, I mean, I've always been a fan of small teams. So with services, that is not something you can manage because it's a very people-focused thing. I like teams to be extremely small, extremely deep. Get to a phase where things are moving, and even in that sense, keep it small. So, which is why initially when we also started for the first three years, it was just me. And in the uh, last year of that third, a friend, a, a friend of my cousin joined. And at that point, I think we had probably over a thousand customers. So, there's two of us sitting, coding, writing documentation, all of that. And lean is beautiful in that sense. Very interesting. And over the last few years, you have launched multiple products. Right. And uh, in, in general, uh, Fusion also has kind of repositioned itself as a visualization company, right? So, uh, how have you gone about, say, finding product market fit for new ideas? You know, what has stressed in the last few years? So, I think one thing I realized is when we started Fusion Charts, it was my own burning need because my dad's product needed, product needed a chart. I need to charge for my Excel uh, for my school project, and then that's something. But I put it out the basic appear phone idea with the article. People started getting getting uh, back to me with a lot of requests. So there, the product market fit was very organically determined, but it was in need of mine itself, which gradually evolved into a product. Uh, some of the later products, what happened is so I'll pick an example like uh, we embedded feed charts in PowerPoint and created a full charting uh, suite in PowerPoint with a lot more things, and we called it Ufo. So that was a product which again picked up very fast in the initial days, and we had about two hundred thousand users of that. So that idea was evolved when we saw a lot of our existing customer taking a ten twenty step process to put vision charts in PowerPoint, and they were not. And it was a very tricky process, but people were astounded by what could have been done. So we said, hey, people are already doing this. Let's do that. Uh, let's make it simpler for them. So that those so there was a set of products where we created based on uh, existing customers using our products in different environments. Some of those succeeded. Some did not succeed either because uh, we overestimated the size of the market, that particular market, or the number of users. Or in some cases, people were not willing to pay. They are like, we thought it's for free, so we'll uh, continue using it for free. 
now in some of the recent products that we are doing, uh, we are trying to uh, we are taking a slightly different step. So given that uh, the overall market of using charts was not very large, like because this it's a developer library, there are a lot of open source players, and while we did scale up well enough, but now essentially for the newer products, we're looking at hey, what are the industries which are large enough where we can go and at least make a bet so that we don't we don't hit a glass ceiling, so to speak. And which part of those industries, or which of those industries, is something which we take interest in. So overall, as a uh, as business intelligence as an industry, is something I'm deeply passionate about. So while fusion charts was also part of that, it was selling to developers. So now we're looking at building tools for business needs. And for the product market fit, there again, it's the same thing. Either start with one of my internal problems, like as a business user, what are the problems I faced around uh, getting insights from my data? What are the tools we tried? What I wish I could have had in my hands as a toolbox, and then build around that. So that has been our approach to building products uh, and trying to the product market. So essentially, largely from what I hear, you know, it's more about market product, right? I mean, basically going after the big markets and uh, then figuring out what are the products that if we did. That is. But if if I was starting early on, like the fusion charts, that was just my own problem which I kept on building. Because at that, so if you're attacking a very large market and then you have to build it, so post version of the scope of that product will be slightly larger because the table stakes is very high. But if you're attacking a very small niche and you're saying I'm going to solve my own problem, then you can do it very incrementally, which is what I did with fusion charts. So for fusion charts, that was the case. For now that there's an exit and uh, the goal is to build something more interesting, something bigger. So now taking a market driven approach. Right, right. So, so, so if you if you have to determine, uh, you know, the strategy to you know uh, early stage founders, what would you recommend? Because uh, typically the very niche of the very small product problem statements are kind of taken over. You know, uh, we recommend attacking the problem with you know, in case where the market is big or Occupy, you know, or, or attack with a small product first, and then you know, monitor, you know, kind of increase the buy later. So that's no binary answer to this, Ashish. Uh, I mean, if you, so let's say you are starting up and you have three months of savings hypothetically, and in three months you know you can't go and attack large problems because if you're attacking large problems, you need development time, you need more uh, money to build the distribution, sales. So in that case, what you do is you start small. So essentially, the goal is to be at a place where you have the freedom and the flexibility to make those choices. If you don't have the freedom and the flexibility to make those choices without making a small product, obviously go build the small product first, make some money out of it, get learning across the spectrum, which is either engineering or sales or marketing or PD, uh, whatever is required with the small product. Then get some money out of it, and then you can build adjacent, adjacent products. So. It is not about that if you start with one product, you're only going to be stuck with that one product forever. So you build one product, you build adjacent products or adjacent markets as well, but there has to be a coherent approach to it. So, but yeah, if you're a guy who can go and raise a hundred million dollars in day, by all means, go and attack the largest problem possible. Yeah, <laughs> not in this scenario. <laughs> well, definitely not in this scenario. At least the early looks of it, it seems like yeah, next six to 12 months are going to be testing time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what about your CAC, the acquisition cost in general? Uh, you guys have done quite a bit of great involved modeling. Uh, so, good luck to know what has been the spread. And I, I believe you know, we were one of the first few AdWords customers in India. Right. 
has been your strategy in terms of acquiring customers and how has it changed over the last few years? Because now the now it's been on Facebook or Google Ads, you have to raise you even just do that, right? So uh, what's the most optimal way uh, which you guys have figured out so far? Sure. So, uh, so I'll go back to the journey. So initial days when we started, so we started with a lot of content marketing in 2003. That time it was actually not called content marketing. It was just like you write good content, you find pieces to put it out, and people read and come. And uh, in some cases, you also get money for writing those articles back. Yeah. So, and and so the greatest marketing is uh, it's like talking about it. <laughs> I think that was. That was the most clever piece of marketing I have seen. Right, so we did, we did a bunch of those. So essentially, pick up small moments or small things, and then essentially put it out there. A lot of content. We also wrote a book on our 10 year journey. So, Sanjeev was heading our marketing. Uh, we wrote a book. That book was about a journey of using charts. A lot of people got to know about that. We printed hard copies of that. Uh, so, apart from the traditional model, which is conferences, that did not work out very well for us because our average selling value is not very high. Or you don't get so because we had a high velocity, high volume, uh, high velocity, but low speed product. Uh, Google AdWords worked well for us in the past, but we realized that uh, off late it's becoming more and more expensive, and basically anybody's out there. So that's something, especially in the market that we are developer market. Developers don't go to Google Ads. So we started looking at places where developers go, like whether it's NPM, whether it's GitHub, uh, whether it's other open source sites, and we started attacking those places, attacking the code variety, like good content, a lot of open source, our own open source projects, free products, uh, free tools that you give out, right content around internals of our PC apps architecture. So given that our community, our target audience is developer, we started looking at what, where does a developer go, what does his daily uh, workflow look like, what does his daily life look like, what are the places we can go. Now if somebody is going to go for an open source, recently we partnered with a company called Apex Charts. So for that product, on their website, we are partnered with them, and some of their customers or some of their users come to us. So rather than uh, basically carpet bombing on Google or on uh, uh, Facebook, uh, we are now looking at a very cipher approach of individual segments of properties where developers come and where they will uh, find us. So these are some of the things. Sorry, that's what. Oh, give me two Yeah. Sorry about that. So, so, in general, you know, what your marketing traffic, how much of it is organic versus um, uh, inorganic right now? Uh, in, as of today, uh, I mean, this is the day I showed the company, I think it was 95% organic, 5% inorganic. And uh, uh, all the organic, most of it is coming through. Uh, and I mean, uh, so most of major, you know, API players globally. Right? Uh, how would about setting API as a as a notion to even your developers, to your teams, because uh, every wants to say that hey, you know, I have mm -hmm. API is not. Ashish, your voice is uh, not here. That's completely silent. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I think something is going wrong there. Sorry. Uh, so what I was uh, asking was about your focus on API uh, as a way to grow slash you know uh, 
I think at, at scale, your API is the product for you guys. Correct. So we are a library company, it's not exactly an API. So, uh, how would you go about selling the notion of library to your teams? Because uh, uh, typically, when you're hiring a developer, you know, most of them want to work on practical stuff. Like, right. library, honestly, is not the best fancy stuff because you know, it, it's, a, it's a back end product. Right. So, I mean, we use some features like do you want to drive a car or build a car? I mean, that's the standard feature that we go on. <laughs> to go hiring, but uh, I think one thing which worked out very well for us was, uh, so we had a major attribution in 2014 and uh, literally our entire team was wiped out because all the big funded guys came or came and we were giving absurd salary, salary hikes, like 2x, 3x, 4x for our people. So in 2015, we had to go back to the drawing board and think about, hey, we have to rebuild a team. What does it mean like and where we should, we should look at the building of the team itself as a process with a cadence. So we started this campus hiring program where every year we go hire 15, 20 people from campus in Calcutta, bring them over a span of six to nine months in JavaScript data visualization, things that we want them to know. So, and right from day one, the inculcation of these things, like how to program well, what are the good parts of JavaScript, how to write code JavaScript, how to build a good API, because they have started their careers here and most of our senior guys have been a part of that process. So they are fairly well aware. And when they see some of the largest companies in the world being powered by our charts, and other developers in their peer group or their community also know about it. I think that sort of uh, reaffirms their faith that hey, a library company or a library product is as well. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, as a founder, how has your, you know, what have, how have you evolved? Because uh, uh, I believe, you know, you know, I think for a few years back, uh, there was the new version of team as such, you were handling everything in the company. Like, you know, it was basically a one-man show, you know, people were reporting to you, but you were the one who was responsible for pretty much everything. Right, so how have you gone about letting go? And uh, because a lot of founders, especially who are bootstrapped, uh, they, uh, they don't get to get a lot of outside perspective. Right. I think that has been one of my biggest learning and biggest things. Like initially when I started, uh, because I was coding, I was very afraid to even let somebody else touch the code because I was like, what if he dirties my code? And that's a standard fear every bootstrap founder yeah. or the first time founder has. Like, how can I let somebody talk to my customers in customer support or does this guy undersell a product in terms of sales guys? So those are legit fears. But the thing which uh, helped us do it, because when we were scaling, I was not able to do everything all the same. I can't do everything at the same time. So when we started hiring people and we started letting them do things, automatically, I saw, yes, initial days are very tough. You're like, I wish you could have done this better. You're frustrated. You're like, why can't you think of this this way? But give it some time, a few months, and then you're like, oh, this person is really way better than me. And then you keep on adding layers, layers not in terms of hierarchy, but layers of let's say a manager or a leader of that sort. So for me, the turning point was when uh, we opened our office in Bangalore in 2011, and we were hiring fairly senior leaders for our sales, uh, director of sales, director of UX, uh, director of marketing, and those guys had worked in uh, fairly large organizations. So when they came in, they bought in their processes, structures, uh, the onboarding things, onboarding for people, tools that they use, internal collaboration, communication, and that was a big learning. So, Initially, I would write all the code, do all the things, do all the marketing. 
then there were teams over over to report into me and uh, one time so that when there would be a release and I would come to you after the release has happened they would release a new product or a new version of this and then you're like oh wow, this looks good give me a showcase of that so those are things which uh, which definitely uh, has changed in me and that has helped me become a, a better uh, founder so to speak very interesting um coming back to the whole bootstrapping part right um you know you obviously bootstrap uh when you see a lot of saas companies raising like millions of millions of dollars did you feel like yeah, you know let's uh, you know let's raise money let's quickly scale up right uh was there an urge to do so you know what was your mental you know Thought process around bootstrapping versus you know fundraising, because uh, uh, like it or not, but uh, today you know, a lot of founders want to raise money before even getting the product out. And uh, given the current scenario, uh, I'm guessing that it's going to be very difficult. Uh, and there are not too many bootstrapping champions in India. You know, but you're very few of those founders who are bootstrapped all the way. Sure. So, so uh, first thing I would want to point out, actually, sorry, you think something? Your voice got muffled. It's sort of the bad bootstrapping experience of uh, mm-hmm. you saying, "Yeah, I mean, you know, let me raise money, let me not raise money." Was there ever a question like that? So we did flirt with that. Yeah. So I'll give you some background. Then. So 2002 is when we started. Till about 2007-8, we were uh, like we are running, we are growing very fast, profitable all in all the 17 years. 2008 is when in India VC started coming. I think 2009 or 10 is when uh, we got a few calls. Obviously, I was very curious, saying, "What is this VC?" Now everybody knows what what is a VC. Met a few of them, uh, did get a few term sheets, uh, but I was not convinced because by that time we had enough money in the bank. It was very profitable. We were running a very lean operation, uh, and we were very conscious of our cost. Like we ran it like a thanda, not your uh, typical uh, vanity metric software business. Uh, where it's only about the uh, top line, so we ran it like proper thanda, uh, good or bad. Again, different people have different opinions. So by 2010, 9-10, when we started meeting VCs, we realized that even if we take money, money is not something that will help us just plain go. A because it's a market. Why we were building newer products, we were trying different things. It was not just money; it should be the fuel for us because this is a uh, glass ceiling to the market size itself. It is not a market which itself is growing very very fast. And plus, we were the number one player till about 2012-13. We had money in the bank, so that is where we decided not to take money because a it would come, it would force us to do things which we don't want to do. Uh, in some cases, that might result in a positive, but it would force us to either take a decision to move out of the developer market or do things we don't want to do. B the market size itself was limited, and C at that point in time we realized that the money is not something which is just going to drive this thing forward faster. That being said, I think. Uh, While bootstrapping has been romanticized, I don't think it's an either-or choice. You can bootstrap your way like a lot of companies, get your product out, get some revenue, raise money to grow. Don't raise money to experiment for a product. I mean, that's something which, uh, at least in SaaS or B two B SaaS, I think uh, is uh, probably not going to go well. So do raise money when you're sure that hey, this is something where I can uh, put this money in. I already have a growth model. I this is something which where I, if I put in a dollar, I get more than a dollar. That's an absolutely fantastic place to go and raise money. Uh, if you are doing something deep tech, yeah, definitely, and you need a lot of capital, yeah, that's another uh, place to go and raise money. But if you are building SaaS B two B, I think 
everything has, I mean, minus the cost of the talent, it's fairly cheap now to build such products. A couple of founders, a couple of uh, early guys spent three, six months both understanding the problem, finding uh, what is the right approach to do it, and then go build an MVP and then go test it out. So that's something which I think a lot of companies are now doing. Yeah. And um, um, what happens? So we have seen the earlier days of the CD products uh, where you would install CDs to now things moving to SaaS. What has fundamentally changed in your pricing? So everything in SaaS is now getting to a monthly price. So uh, monthly price, scalable. So now the good thing is now you are able to track the usage of the product. Like even in my product, you charts, I'm not able to track the usage. It's a library product. Once I ship it out, you don't know whether the person is using it, not using it. So the fundamental thing in SaaS is you can see the usage per customer as long as you're not seeing confidential data out there. So you know how each customer is using. You can understand what is the unit economic, unit uh, pricing economics out there. Are you going to charge per user? Are you going to charge based on space? Are you going to charge per API call? And all of these are now legit things that you can charge and measure on a real-time basis. So most of the pricing strategies that I see which are very interesting in SaaS is very aligned with the growth of the customer. So if your product is helping the customer and the customer is growing and becoming more efficient in that area, you are able to charge more and take a share of that pie. So that and the predictability of this because the cumulative revenue which you get year on year, even if you just don't do anything and don't lose customers, you still have the last year revenue plus the annual escalation of growth, whatever you have put that number as. So each year you are building from a base which is what was your base last year and that becomes so beautiful. Whereas in the CD world, each year you have to go out and find a new customer or ask the existing customer to renew, in which case some, some of them would renew and some of them may not renew. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, one question from uh, Siddharth. Uh, so, do you think coronavirus will impact SaaS companies given the economic slowdown? Uh, even though, I mean, right now there is no correlation, but given that the, the entire market and all the kind of uh, you know, expenses are going to go down. So, what would be the impact on SaaS startups and how they should actually prepare for it right away? Sure. So, every recession, in any recession, uh, by default, everybody is affected. Some companies find ways to actually make use of that recession to grow, like ed tech companies right now, because everybody is learning from home or online games or online video, whatnot, of that kind. Uh, as of now, essentially, every founder who is either bootstrapped or is running on a 12 month runway cycle should be looking at how to extend the runway by six months, which means cut all your experiments. Experiments are done in good times because I think we have extra capital or we have the ability to raise capital. Look at each of the cost nine items in your PNL very, very clearly. See if you can create for some things like office rent with somebody else instead of paying for SaaS pricing, exchange software, do partner system, like whatever it takes to stay afloat. Also, do a critical analysis of which of your customers might actually churn out or after a discount or downgrade and get in touch with those customers. And be fair, I mean, some of the customers in some of the industries will uh, go through more severe uh, downturns, which you're already seeing. So, be a good partner to those kind of customers. Give them a moratorium on payment or a payment structure which is discounted one way or the other if you think that customer is valuable to you in the long run. So, yes, things will, be, things will fundamentally change for in the short run, and I'm hoping it will improve. But if uh, the coronavirus thing doesn't settle out, we may be looking at a much longer impact. Yes. Uh, my last question on uh, failures at fusion jobs. You know, so some of the uh, Important experiments which failed, and uh, what has been your key learning from those? 
Oh, there have been a lot of experiments which we uh, So, okay, let me think about it. I mean, the more I think about failure, the more it is about my failure as a founder. So, things about not setting engineering coaches and engineering processes earlier, ad hoc processes where we uh, don't know what's coming in the next week. So, I'm talking, I think, about 2009-10. Everything was, any customer trade, we need to do like, yeah, we'll team without having a proper release management, product management. So, uh, since then, there were reasons where we had needed complete re-architecture and it took us a year to do re-architecture and even then it was not better because we did not anticipate that, hey, engineers said, hey, we'll do re-architecture. I said, okay, we'll do re-architecture and took us a year to do a full release. So, rather than re-architecture, we should have refactored. A uh, couple of other failures, but those are more tactical ones. We tried setting up outbound sales team and we realized that uh, 3D Chaser is not a product where you can do outbound uh, because it's a need-based product. Just because uh, I have beam charts, I can't tell you unless you have a need for a charting, which means you're either doing a new project or a product which has a dashboard. Uh, then in marketing, we did some major bloopers with Google AdWords, overspending, overfitting, all of those things. Uh, okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, she was talking about. Uh, so then, I think also on the Hiring side, we, we should have done a lot more. So, like uh, in the initial days, we were just looking at lateral hiring. Then, once we started rebuilding our Bangalore team, which is just for three years ago, we understood the value of outbound hiring. Or you could just put it up on a budget site or get recruiters to uh, basically uh, call people and uh, run through the database and apply. Now, we actually know that if we need this person, this kind of person exists, and there's 20 companies, these are these 20 people, reach out to those 20, see there's a hit rate. We thought expand to 40, and just now, once we learned hiring, it became a lot easier for us because now we exactly know how to hire. So, a whole bunch of these mistakes over the time, like some of which come out and some of which got solved. Uh, not exactly failures, uh, but yeah, uh, anyway, it's, a, it's a big flag out there. Cool, cool, and uh, yeah, uh, that's pretty much. Uh, congratulations again on your uh, exit. Uh, of an obvious question is, is that you know what was the reason you know you guys decided to uh, you know get acquired because you are a good start company you don't really have an external investor pressure to actually your voice again right off please talking but so what I was asking was that you know uh, uh, what, what was the reason that you know you guys decided to exit at this point in time? Uh, given that uh, it's not much of a pressure on you to sort of exit, right? So I think there were two timing reasons from uh, my side. One is uh, I wanted to focus on uh, a different set of products, right? Some of the newer things that we are building, and while the charts was profitable, it's profitable and it's continuing to run, uh, irrespective of how how much you want to sort of side note that off and keep yourself away. Some of your mental standards get up off this because it's still uh, one of your own uh, Second thing is we have built a phenomenal set of products and uh, somehow in the last couple of years we realized that our distribution is probably lacking. So the buyer idea that they have a very strong uh, footprint in the development ecosystem and that would enable them to take our products to a lot more people. So given the uh, engineering and product and uh, uh, engineering and product bandwidth, uh, and the things that we have done. This may have a much larger impact with uh, us being a part of that. And now people start making this. It's going to be uh, 